When uh, our son Lucas, who is just up here, um, when he was three years old, so that's a little while, while back, um, and Sophia, the other girl who was, was up here, was 11 months old, um, my wife Rochelle and I had the brilliant idea of driving from Brooklyn, New York, where we lived at the time, to Minnesota, where my parents lived, for Thanksgiving. We were gonna do this crazy long road trip with a three-year-old and an 11-month-old. Um, and uh, we decided you know, we wanna kind of uh, take our time on our way and, and see some different sites um, along the drive. Um, but you know, when and we kind of stayed with some friends along the way, but the last stretch of our trip was a 12-hour drive. And we decided that in order to do that 12 hours, we were gonna try to drive through the night um, to sort of get the kids to sleep, hopefully most of, the, most of the way. And thankfully, it went pretty well overall. The kids slept pretty well overnight as we were driving through the night. But by the, by the time the morning came, I was exhausted. And so we were about two hours away from um, my parents' house. And so we pulled into a rest stop early in the morning just so I could kind of get a, um, a, a little bit of sleep before the final push. And then our three-year-old Lucas woke up and started to cry. And I asked him, Lucas, why, why are you crying? And, and he said, I wanna be at grandma and grandpa's. <laughs> he just, it was such a long drive and he just wanted to be there. And I, and I felt for him, you know, because it was this long drive. And so I told him, you know, buddy, we're almost there. I just need to sleep a little bit before we can do that, that final uh, push of the last part of the drive. And so Lucas to this replied, daddy, you can sleep while you drive. <laughs> <laughs> he wanted to get there. <laughs> it can be hard to wait, can't it? Um, especially for kids, right? Especially during this season, right? Waiting for Christmas to come when you're gonna get to open those presents. And, um, and, and, and as I mentioned, today is this, this first Sunday in the season of Advent. And, and one of the themes that we often talk about during this season of Advent is this theme of waiting waiting. Um, during these Advent Sundays, uh, we're going to be looking at some of the texts that lead up to the birth of Jesus, uh, sort of um, specifically in, in Luke's gospel. And we're going to be kind of focusing on a, on a couple different characters, a couple ind individuals um, that we see in the lead up to Jesus' birth. And so today, as, as Debbie kind of mentioned earlier, we're going to be looking at um, Zechariah. And so uh, the, the, my sermon title today is Zechariah Waiting. We're going to be looking at, at the life of th this moment of, of Zechariah and specifically his, the, the theme of waiting that we see in, in his life. And, uh, and so the text that we're going to be uh, focusing on today is Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 25. And then we're going to um, jump over to verses 57 to 66 to sort of get the end um, of the story of, of Zechariah. Uh, and so this is on page 723 in the Pew Bible, if you'd like to follow along there. Um, and so, so, again, hear God's word to us today as we, as we think about this theme of waiting in the life of Zechariah. So Luke chapter 1, beginning with verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well along in years. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, 
He was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When the time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. And now jumping over to verse 57. Um, We're going to be looking at those next verses next week that that happened there. But jumping on to verse 57. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. They said to her, there is no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Immediately, his mouth was opened and his tongue was loosed and he began to speak, praising God. The neighbors were all filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for this account of of Zechariah and Elizabeth and the birth of John, John the Baptist. And And so we pray that you would speak to us through your word today. Lord, give us ears to hear and hearts to receive what you have for us, especially as we think about this reality of waiting that we have in our lives. Um, And so we invite you now, Holy Spirit, to to speak um, into our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. 
As we look at this, this text and, and focus um, you know, specifically on Zechariah and his experience of waiting, um, I wanna look at basically two things today. The first is the difficulty of waiting and then the blessing of waiting. Um, so let's start with that first one, the difficulty of waiting. Why is waiting so hard? Why do we resist it so often? Well, I think one reason that waiting can be so difficult is that waiting shows us we're not in control. Waiting shows us we're not in control. Um, Zechariah and Elizabeth had been waiting to have a child for many years. Uh, verse seven tells us, but they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well along in years. Uh, later on in the passage, when the angel Gabriel tells Zechariah that Elizabeth is going to have a son, uh, the angel says to Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Um, so that indicates that Zechariah had been praying for a child, right? That they had been hoping and waiting for God to answer their prayer, to give them a child, even in, in their old age. But the reality is, having a child was not in their control. Elizabeth was barren. She was unable to conceive. And as the text says, they were both well along in years, which I think is sort of a nice way of saying they were old, right? They were, they were not in the normal childbearing uh, ages. But there was nothing that they could do to change their situation, right? All they could do was wait. Now later, when, when Gabriel uh, tells Zechariah that Elizabeth is going to have a son, Zechariah is kind of skeptical about this, right? Is that sort of his response? Like, how is this going to happen? And, and so Gabriel tells him in verse 20, and now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. So Zechariah was now going to have to wait, wait for nine months before he could speak, before a word could come out of his mouth. And so once again, this showed Zechariah that he was not in control. Uh, there was nothing that he could do to make himself speak again. He couldn't rush the pregnancy along, right? Can, can we just get this pregnancy going quicker so then maybe I can speak again? No, no, he had to wait. To wait for that, that child to develop in Elizabeth's womb. And things were out of his hands. And all he could do was wait. Now, I know if I was in Zachariah's shoes, those probably would have been the most frustrating nine months of my life. Right? Not being able to speak, any, not to even to communicate with, with anyone. Waiting shows us that we're not in control. Um, you know, on that, on that same road trip that I was talking about earlier, when, when we were actually driving on our way back to, to Brooklyn from Minnesota um, after Thanksgiving, we stopped at a travel plaza along the way to fill up our ca car with gas. And before we continued, I went inside uh, the travel plaza to get some coffee. I was, I was needing some coffee to keep me awake on, you know, in the middle of the afternoon of that one. But as I walked into that travel plaza, this is what I saw this line of people at the Starbucks, one after another, probably about 15 people, and there was only one barista behind the counter. And, and so I got in line, and I waited as person after person ordered their drink, and it seemed just to take forever for that barista to make each of those drinks. It's, you know, each one had to be this super complicated thing, and, and I just kept on thinking about the time I was wasting, waiting on this line instead of driving, but the barista just smiled behind the counter and 
took the order and made the drink and brought it to the next person. And it became very clear to me that the barista was in control and I was not. And that was frustrating, right? (laughs) It was frustrating. Um, Waiting is hard because it shows us we're not in control. And if we're honest, waiting is hard because we usually want to be in control, right? We want to be in control. I wanted to go to the front of that line and tell that barista to just, all I want is a coffee. That's all I want. Can you just give me a coffee, right? Um, But I wasn't in control. I'm sure Zechariah and Elizabeth wished there was something they could do to ensure having a child. But they couldn't. They weren't in control. I'm sure Zechariah wished that that he could have convinced Gabriel to to let him speak so he wouldn't have to be silent for those nine months. Couldn't he just sort of have a do-over of of how he reacted initially so that he could just, maybe then he could actually speak? You know, whether it's, it's waiting in line or waiting to hear back from a job interview or waiting to hear the results of a medical test, or waiting to, to find a spouse, or waiting to get pregnant, or, or waiting for the economy to turn around, or waiting for a change in political leadership, or, or waiting for anything else that you don't have control over. Waiting is often difficult because we want to be in control of things that we don't have control over. And that desire to be in control and to not have to wait actually reveals something much deeper about our hearts. Something that we may not want, that we may not even realize, and and certainly often that we don't want to acknowledge, which is that our desire to be in control shows that we don't trust God fully. And we actually want to be in the place of God. When we resist waiting for something that isn't in our control, it shows us that we're not trusting God fully. We're not trusting in his timing, in his provision, in his will. Instead, we want to be in charge. We want to be in control. And, and we want to control the timing. And we want, to, we want things to happen according to our timetable, not according to God's timetable. And ultimately, what that sort of reveals in our hearts is that, that whether we want to admit it or not, we kind of want to be in the place of God that we actually want to be the ones that's calling the shots, that's determining when things happen and and according to what timetable. Now, we shouldn't be surprised at this because actually the, the heart of our human sinful nature is this desire to be in control, our, this desire to be actually God. Um, we see this way at the very beginning in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter three, the, in the Garden of Eden, Ever since then, humans have wanted to place themselves in the place of God. That was a temptation that the serpent gave to, to Eve. Don't you want, you will eat this fruit and you will be like God. Don't you want that? To be in that place? And so often we want to be in control of our lives and in control of our world. And the, the incredible advances in technology in our world sometimes give us the illusion that we are in control that we can sort of shape things according to, to our needs. You know, I mean, we can order whatever we want on Amazon and receive it at our doorstep in a day or two. Right? We don't have to wait very long for that, although sometimes even that feels like, oh, come on, can't it get here sooner if it's delayed? Right, Amazon, come on. But we, we, we can order, we can get it. Um, we, can all, we can often address many difficulties in life with, with some sort of human technological response. 
We have medical treatments for most diseases. We, there's, there's in vitro fertilization for couples who have difficulty getting pregnant. Zechariah and Elizabeth, they didn't have that option back then. You know, they, couldn't, they couldn't turn to that. But now we have right, all these technology. We have online dating services to, for people who are looking to, to find your perfect match. Now, I'm not saying that, that these things are necessarily bad, but they give us the illusion that we are in control of our lives and that we can sort of fix anything just by our own human ingenuity. We can fix it. We, don't, we, we shouldn't have to wait for things, right? Because we should be able to, to make it happen. But the truth is, we're not ultimately in control of our lives. I'm not God, you're not God, and there are moments in our lives where that becomes very crystal clear that we don't have control of things that we thought maybe we did have control over. And so as difficult as waiting can be, as, as much as, as, as this happens, right, it reveals these things about us and it's difficult, there is actually a blessing to waiting. That waiting actually can provide a blessing. And so that's the, the, the next thing I wanna look at is, is the blessing of waiting. What is it about waiting that can actually not just be this challenging, difficult thing, but actually can be a blessing? Well, the first way that waiting can be a blessing is that waiting gives us time for reflection where God can work in us. That waiting forces us sometimes to be in that place of reflecting where God can actually work in us. It forces us to slow down. It gives us time that, that we could either use for it to be filled with frustration, anxiety, attempting to control the situation, right? Attempting to, I don't wanna wait, so I'm gonna try to make this happen, or it provides the opportunity to wait and reflect. Waiting gives us time to reflect on why we're so frustrated with this waiting. Actually, search our hearts and see what is it about this that is, that is causing me such anxiety and frustration. God can use periods of waiting in our lives to reveal our sinful desire to be in control and to be in the place of God. That it can actually open our, ourselves up to that possibility of acknowledging that, of, of seeing that. God might reveal that, that the thing that we're having a hard time waiting for might actually be something that we have sort of made into an idol in our lives. Something that we are looking to for ultimate fulfillment, that if I just had that, then I would be satisfied. Then I'd be fulfilled in my life. And so sometimes waiting can actually open our eyes to see, oh, maybe that's, the, my, my response to this is, is actually unhealthy, the way that I'm sort of doing that. You know, back when I was in, in seminary, I felt this internal pressure to find a wife before I graduated from seminary because I was worried about what would happen if I got called into a church and, and the idea of sort of dating someone while I was serving a church as a pastor felt like kind of, uh, that might be awkward. And so I was like, so I felt this internal pressure, like I got to find a wife before I graduate from seminary. And so during my, my first two years of seminary, I went on several dates, but they, none of them turned into anything. You know, it was sort of just, they never developed into a long-term relationship. And, and I was frustrated that, that things weren't going according to my timetable. But during that period of waiting, God revealed to me that I had been putting this idea of finding a wife in an unhealthy place in my life. Um, that it had actually become sort of an idol. That there was this thing that I was chasing and I thought I need this to happen according to my timetable, the way that I need it to happen. And I began to realize that I was not 
willing to trust in God's timing, um, in the timing of getting married, or, or even to trust in God's provision if I never got married? Was I willing to trust in that, that God would provide for me, that he would, do, that he would lead me as a pastor regardless? And so that time of waiting opened up an opportunity for reflection. And as I reflected, God revealed that, that sort of sin and, and lack of trust in my heart, which then allowed me to actually go to God in repentance and say, Lord, you're actually, it's, it's a mercy that you're making me wait because you're helping me to see that, that I have the, sort of this unhealthy, sinful desire here. And, and I was able to repent of that and, and come to him. And then was able to then receive God's forgiveness to me, his grace to me for after confessing that to him. And God began to change my heart during that period of waiting. He began to, to help me let go of that, that sort of pressure that I was feeling in need. And so then during the summer before my final year of seminary, when I met Rochelle, I was in a much different place. I was actually ready in that place to not sort of have this, this need to sort of force this thing about needing to find a wife, but I was able to just get to know her without the pressure that I'd been placing on myself before. God was working in my heart. He knew, he knew exactly what he was doing, even though I didn't, right? And God was preparing both her and me in that, in that moment as, as, as we began to walk through that process together. You know, I wonder what those nine months of silence were like for Zechariah. Scripture doesn't tell us exactly what happened, um, what he thought about during those nine months, but I do know that that period of waiting, it sure gave him some time for reflection. And, and maybe God revealed that, that, I, that there was a lack of trust in, in how Zechariah had responded to Gabriel's message, right? That, that he was not really trusting in, in God's provision in that moment. Maybe God revealed that, that the child that he and Elizabeth had been longing for had, had become maybe sort of an idol in their lives, that, that maybe they would be tempted to hold on to because they were longing for this child and they don't want that child to go. But God was preparing them to actually release that child to go out and live in the wilderness as John the Baptist, right? Maybe God was preparing them during this time of waiting. We don't know exactly what was happening, um, what those nine months were, of waiting were like for Zechariah, but we do know that God did work in his heart during that time because of what happened at the end of the nine months. Because when Elizabeth gave birth to their son and their relatives assumed that the boy would be named Zechariah after his father, Elizabeth said, no, he is to be called John. But they didn't, they were incredulous about the suggestion, right? Because nobody else in the family had this name. And so they said, no, no, no we, we got to check with, with the husband. We got to check with Zechariah and make sure that, that Elizabeth is, is doing the right thing here, right? To see what, what he wanted. And, and Zechariah could have easily told them to name the boy after himself and have his namesake or, or to choose some other name that he preferred. But in verse 63, we read, he asked for a writing tablet and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Zechariah obeyed the instruction of the angel Gabriel, which meant that he was ultimately obeying the instruction of the Lord. And so what was he doing in that moment? He was trusting in what God had revealed to him about this boy. He was not taking things into his own hands. He was not trying to control the naming of this child, but he submitted himself to what God had said that this boy was supposed to be named. And over those nine months of silence, I think Zechariah had been brought to a place of obedience, a place of trust, as he had a chance to talk, to reflect on what happened when he didn't respond with much trust in the first place. 
And that's actually another element of the blessing of waiting, which is that waiting can lead us to trust God more deeply. That waiting can lead us to trust God more deeply. When we come face to face with our inability to control our lives and and we recognize that we're not in the place of God after all, and we're led to an experience of repentance over maybe our idolatry or attempts to take God's place, then we are able to hear the good news that even despite our attempts to control things, even though our, 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 in spite of our attempts to not want to wait, that God still loves us, that he forgives us for our idolatry, that, that he forgives us for our attempts to take his place, that, and that actually he has our good in mind, even when we are in that place of waiting, that God is actually working for good, even while we're waiting. And hearing that good news and recognizing that God is in control rather than us and that that is a good thing, that can lead us to trust him more fully, lead us to trust him more deeply. You know, one of the other experiences of waiting in our text today is actually found sort of in the background of this passage. Because when the angel Gabriel announces the birth of John, he says in verse 17, about this child who's going to be born. He says, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So Gabriel talks about John coming in the spirit and power of Elijah, going before the Lord, making ready a people prepared for the Lord. And and this kind of language of what what Gabriel is using here is all pointing to these prophetic promises that had been made to the people of Israel that we see in, in the prophets in the Old Testament that one day a ruler, the Messiah, would come to rescue and save Israel. But before he came, that there would be another figure connected to the prophet Elijah who would come to prepare the way for the Lord, who would come to prepare the way for that Messiah. And we see that actually in the scripture reading that that Rochelle read earlier in in Isaiah 40, where verse three says, a voice of one calling, in the desert prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. In the gospels, we actually see Mark and Matthew referring to, to this very prophecy. That, that the one who is coming, John the Baptist, the one, this little baby who was born to Zechariah and Elizabeth, he was this one who was calling out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Prepare the one for who's coming. The people of Israel, guess what? They had been waiting for that to happen. They'd been waiting and longing. In fact, they had been waiting for 400 years since the last prophet Malachi had prophesied about the coming of this Messiah. Talk about waiting. The Israelites knew they were not in control of when the Messiah would come. They couldn't force that to happen. It was something that only God was going to do. And as much as they longed for him to come right away to rescue them from their suffering and their oppression, they they couldn't control that. And so their collective experience of waiting as a people It drew them also to trust God more deeply, that God alone was their only hope. And they began to long for God's rescue and wait on him. And so when Gabriel announced to Zechariah that his son John would be the one to prepare the way for the coming Messiah, 
that he was this one that, that, that Isaiah had spoke about and Zechariah was finally given back his voice, what does he do? He breaks out in song and prays. And in the very next verses after what I read in, in, in verses 68 and 69, and there's a, there's a whole song that Zechariah sings, but the beginning of that song, he says there in verses 68 and 69, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. Zechariah expresses this pure joy that is found on the other side of a long period of waiting. Zechariah's own waiting, but also Zechariah really representing the whole people of Israel in this moment who've been waiting for this day. And finally, Zechariah says, it's come. The Lord has come. He is coming. Zechariah's song points to not his own son, John, but points to the one who John was ultimately pointing to, the Messiah, the one who he talks about here as this horn of salvation who has been raised up in the house of his servant David, the one who is coming to redeem his people, which, of course, is Jesus. This baby who is going to be born in Bethlehem, he would ultimately grow up to die for all of humanity for those of us who have a hard time waiting, those of us who want to be in control, those of us who don't fully trust God, those of us who want to be in the place of God, Jesus was coming to save us, to save us who have a hard time of waiting and who he wants to forgive, to show grace and mercy to us. Jesus came and died to be our horn of salvation in order to redeem us. And the season of Advent reminds us that just as Israel was waiting for the coming of the Messiah, as I said at the beginning of the service, we too are still waiting. We are waiting now for Christ's second coming, when Jesus will return to begin that process of establishing his kingdom in all of its fullness. And the other scripture reading that Rochelle read from 1 Corinthians 1, the Apostle Paul references this in, as he writes to a church um, back in the church in Corinth, where he talks about as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed, that they were waiting. And guess what? We are here 2,000 years later, and we're still waiting, right? We're waiting with expectation, but we're waiting with hope. We're waiting with hope, knowing that just as Christ has come, he will come again. And you see, all of our personal experiences of waiting are really ultimately pointing to this ultimate waiting that we all have, this waiting for when Christ will return. Because a lot of times our waiting is we're waiting in a sinful world, right? We're waiting in a world that's full of imperfection and, and, and finality and, and things that unmet expectations. And really all of that is showing us that we're ultimately waiting for the day when there will be no more waiting, where there will be no more suffering, where there'll be no more sin. The day when Christ returns, when he will usher in his kingdom, but until that day, until Christ returns, we are invited to embrace the blessing of waiting, even in the midst of its difficulty. So what I want to encourage you, as we're sort of on the edge of, of the this, this season of Advent, right, as we're, as we're heading towards Christmas, is during these weeks to embrace opportunities to wait. 
Sometimes those opportunities are gonna be forced upon you. Maybe you're gonna be waiting in line at the store, right? And feeling that frustration of, of wait, you're gonna be waiting in traffic maybe, or, um, or maybe you right now in your life are waiting on a situation. You're waiting for something to happen that's not happening the way that you want it to happen or as quickly as it, as it would. Or, or maybe during this season, maybe God is inviting you to embrace a posture of actively waiting for Christ's coming his second coming, his, his return, to, to think about that, to pray about that, to, 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 to nurture a longing and a waiting in your heart for that day. Our world around us sure gives us reason for that, to wait, to long for his coming, for his return. And so as you wait, take opportunities to reflect. Don't just rush through this season that can be such a busy one, right? Where we're, 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 we're so scattered and, and rushing, right? but embrace moments, even if it's just small moments, of moments of waiting, moments of reflection, to embrace that posture during the season of Advent um, and invite God to work in you in those moments of reflection, in those moments of waiting. Maybe part of that's gonna be confessing your own impatience in a particular situation or um, confessing your attempt to try to control things in something or even your desire to take God's place. And then, as we're going to go, as we're going to move into communion in just a moment, as we're going to be reminded that all of those areas that we fall short of waiting well during Advent, that Christ has paid for that in full on the cross for us. And so hear that good news again to us, that Jesus has come the first time to save sinners like you and me. He has come. And he invites us to receive his forgiveness and his grace again today for those of us who have a hard time waiting and then to embrace the goodness of waiting as he invites us into that, the blessing of it. Let's pray. God, we confess that there are times where we really have a hard time waiting. Um, And Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes to ways that that sometimes is revealing something deeper in our hearts that really at our core, a lot of times we do want to be in control and we have a hard time not being in control. And we confess, Lord, that, that sometimes we, we just, we, we don't trust you. We don't trust that you have our good in mind, that, that, that the waiting actually, there could be something good in that. And so forgive us, Lord. Forgive us for our impatience. Forgive us for our attempts to control our lives. Forgive us for not submitting to you and trusting you, God, in our lives. And we thank you, Jesus, that, that when we confess our sins, that you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, and that we can know that as we come to you in confession, that your answer is always that you are forgiven, that you've cleansed us in full because of Christ, because Christ came, because you fulfilled your promise to those who were waiting for so long for Jesus to come. And because of that, Lord, we also know that as we're waiting here for your return, that you will come again in your time, in your way, Lord, And so help us to embrace that posture of waiting, especially during this season, to see the goodness, the blessing that comes as we wait on you. In Jesus' name, amen.